Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. I want to thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We've got a good one for you. We have one of your favorites back on the podcast. That's Ryan Waters. He's our content strategy director, and he's going to be building on some of the things that he's talked about in past episodes. Uh, One of the things, and and Ryan, I want to just jump right in. Uh, Thank you for coming back and being on uh, the episode. Um, It's good to have you actually in person. Uh, We've had you on Zoom a lot. but some of the concept we, we we've talked about um, the roles we play, uh, how that affects us, the experiences we've been through, how that informs uh, how we view the world, um, and how our behaviors come out of some of those things, so we can understand how we uh, interact with the world. But one of the buzzwords that goes around for um, a lot of different things, um, whether that's you're a business professional and how you interact with, with your, your clients or your employees, uh, or you're, you know, just a, a regular Joe and how you, um, you know, go through life is self-esteem, mm-hmm. uh, constantly looking at that. I want to, I want to try to break that down and, and look at it cause it seems to be just a little bit different than the behaviors, uh, that we have or, or what our behaviors come out of. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And can you break down what self-esteem actually is for starters? Sure. Kind of a more simplistic view that I think is maybe um, a bit too general that shows up in our society today is that you just need to think more positive about yourself. Right. Well, that may be a component of your journey, but it's much deeper than that. At its core, self-esteem is the orientation about how you view yourself in relation to other people. And so do you tend to move one up, one down to them, or do you stay same as? When you say one up, one down, can we look at that a little bit more? So what do you mean by that one up, one down in relation to other people, uh, relationships? Is that what you mean? Yes. But let me take one step back. Let me talk about what healthy is first, healthy self-esteem. So that way we have something to compare the unhealthy side of it, the one up, one down positions. Gotcha. So I like the way Pia Melody describes self-esteem. She says that self-esteem is the ability to hold yourself in warm, positive regard despite your imperfections and humanity. Wow. Yeah. So very deep and very good. And if you were to summarize that, it's you hold yourself same as other people. And so when you look at the person next to you in the grocery store, you're not better than, you're not worse than them. You're the same as. So that sounds like someone who's got it all together. Um, and frankly, for me and maybe some of our listeners, um, we may not have it all together. So yeah. how does how does self-esteem break down uh, for this one up, one down if you don't have it? You know, perfect is not your attribute. Right. Well, I would probably reframe that as it's not someone who has it all together. It's someone who doesn't have understands that they don't have it all together and are OK with that. OK. Yeah. So unhealthy self-esteem tends to move into the one up or one down positions. And so that one up position is a place of grandiosity. And so they view themselves as superior in some way. And that's very difficult to be around. Mm. It's very uncomfortable for people around them, but it feels very seductive to the person who is in that role. So first of all, I think we, at least me, I can think of some people uh, whether that's in, in politics or some type of job or leadership or uh, some uh, some friendships that I've been a part of, 
Um, but can you dig a little bit deeper on that for, uh, mm-hmm. you mentioned it can be uh, seductive in a way. Right. What, is it, that, what does that mean? So it feels like the most natural thing in the world. It's not that they're trying to necessarily uh, keep themselves up in that position per se. It just feels like, well, this is reality. This is the way things are. So why would I not think this way? Why would I not view myself as superior to someone else? And so it doesn't feel grandiose to them. So it's almost like, you know, the emperor with the new clothes. Mm. Everyone else sees it around them, but they don't see it themselves. And that sounds like something, too, where uh, we've talked about, you know, breaking into new norms or, or what normal looks like for you growing up. This is just normal for them. That's how they view yeah, the world. That's absolutely. how they interact with people. And here's it can be really hard to see this, but that grandiosity got there because of trauma from their childhood. Mm. And so it's not that they uh, are, it's not that it's necessarily just some moral failure. The reality of it is it flowed out of a brokenness from from childhood. So what I'm hearing you say is it's not there's they're respond. Everyone's responsible for their behaviors Mm -hmm. uh, and how they interact with the world. We can understand our behaviors more if we want to so that we can be, uh, you know, better people and and more in tune with who we actually are. Right. Um, But I want to ask you for the trauma for this, because I. When I think of childhood trauma, I, I think, and, and we'll talk about it in a second, moving down maybe or being down mm-hmm. on yourself, but what kind of trauma m- makes you move up and think more yeah, of yourself? Yeah. Uh, that seems like an oxymoron in a way. What, what, do you, what kind of trauma makes you go up and think more of yourself and grandiose? This shows up with people who have been falsely empowered. And so these are people who have a lot of expectations and responsibility placed on them, but not a lot of accountability mm. or reality checks. And so they can do no wrong or they feel entitled to what they receive or, or their opinion or whatever the case may be. And so the reality of it is they tend to uh, move into that one up position because that was what the people around them pushed them into invalidated they never gave them the reality checks that of humility that keep them grounded as same as so let me ask you this um and we might be getting off the rails here but it seems like in you know your your professional capacity getting someone with self-esteem that's that's lower might be i can see how that works Mm -hmm. getting someone to uh take a chill pill or knock them down a peg Mm. How does that work in a therapeutic way? <laughs> Very carefully. <laughs> no, it, um, for, first of all, it starts with me and how I view them. If I view them as, uh, well, let me take one step back. Is it uncomfortable to be around people who are very firmly entrenched in that grandiose position? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely it is. But when you understand that they're there for a reason, they're there because their environment prepared them, pushed them into that role. It opens the door for compassion in me and changes the way that I interact with them. Is there uh, a need for you to, once they maybe realize it, and, and I'm sure that takes a, a little bit of finesse, but once you get them to that point where they realize, yeah, this, this might be an actuality, um, how do you get them to show compassion for themselves? Because it sounds like this is an individual who might not lean towards compassion for themselves or others. 
Right. Uh, there are some exercises that we walk folks through about compassionate self-awareness. That's the term. And so whenever you uh, are moment by moment, every single day, kind of attuning to the inner dialogue and uh, almost look, giving yourself an outside perspective of yourself, it helps you know when you are kind of on the upward trajectory and you're moving up into that one-up position. And you can then help pause, downregulate into that same ass position. So I would imagine, and and we had I had listened to a, a talk recently where they talked about um, if you if you listen to yourself, you're going to fail, mm-hmm. but if you talk to yourself, you're more likely to succeed. So is that kind of the the line of reasoning you're going with uh, with with this type of individual? Yeah, this may be something we can dig into a little bit deeper, even on a subsequent episode. But the idea of reparenting ourselves, because in essence, mm-hmm. what you have to do is go back and reparent yourself and give yourself what you never got when you were growing up, which is that accountability, that reality check that lets you know you're really not one up, you're same as other people. And so that talking to yourself is that internal dialogue of reparenting that old wound. So first of all, I... I I think you're right. And I know, and I think it was our first episode together that uh, we said we're going to do a three-part series. Mm-hmm. I think we can successfully or, or safely tell our listeners, um, <clears throat> no, three parts is not going to cut it. <laughs> this is just going to be an ongoing dialogue <laughs> as I and the listeners learn from, you know, a professional. Um, because some of the, you know, I already want to ask you questions and dig deep just into that reparenting. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I do that? How do I do it responsibly? Mm-hmm. Who do I let speak into that? Because uh, mm-hmm. that's a reformatting. Yes. Um, that sets a trajectory. Um, so, yeah, that sounds <laughs> <laughs> sounds like something you don't just want to touch on, uh, give three bullet points and move exactly. on. Exactly. It's it's a pretty deep concept. So we'll we'll to the listeners. Don't worry. We're going to come back to that. Mm-hmm. I, that that'll be the next episode uh, that we have with Ryan. Um, but we'll just throw out one resource yeah, that ahead. could be useful. Uh, the book and a lot of the material we're talking about today is from Pia Melody, but I love the way a therapist named Jan Bergstrom uh, repackages and puts all of this material in a very cohesive system. And that is a, a great book called Gifts from a Challenging Childhood. So if you want to learn more about the idea of reparenting or self-esteem, I'd encourage you to pick up a copy of that. And, and you've heard Ryan talk about that um, in several episodes. Uh, you've also heard some of our other experts refer to that. Um, and our, our founder and president, Amber, uh, she's also worked her way through that book and it's highly recommended. Mm-hmm. We'll have a link for that, uh, in the show notes for you as well. You can just click on that. If you go to the notes in whatever app, uh, you're using or whatever browser, click on that link, go to Amazon, get that, um, in two days or less probably. Uh, so let's go back to, we've, we've talked about going up, mm-hmm. um, is there anything else about that concept of going up you want to make sure our listeners know, or should we move on to the going down? Well, maybe this is a good segue in that going down and going up are really two sides of the same coin. Hmm. And a lot of times when people go up, it's in response to a very deep feeling of being down. So whenever they uh, puff up into that grandiose space, uh, sometimes, and this shows up with true narcissism, Mm. Uh, this, they're actually operating out of an extreme deficit and overcompensating by going into the grandiose position. 
And so when someone appears like they're kind of sucking all the energy out of a room in order to puff themselves up, the reality of it is they're trying to fill a very, very deep void of inferiority. That's the one down position. So I will tell you as a, not a professional in that field, I'm, I'm all medical. Um, yeah, we touch on some psychiatric issues, um, especially for the emergency department, but not my forte. When I'm thinking about an individual like that, um, that may not have had boundaries uh, that has entitled the things that they've grown up with for a layman, it makes me want to just shake them and say, hey, you have it better than everybody else. Why are you, where's this vacuum coming from? Come on, buck up. You, yeah. you don't have trauma. Uh, and what you're saying is, no, it's the exact opposite because mm -hmm. of um, these deficits or the lack of boundaries. It's just as uh, valid trauma as if they were beaten or uh, emotionally abused. It is emotional mm -hmm. abuse in a way. It is. I would say it's less culturally accepted because it's uncomfortable in particular to be around folks who are in that grandiose position. But it's just as valid. Do you think those people um, are less likely to get help from a professional counselor? Yes, absolutely. Why do you think that is? Well, because to acknowledge the need for help would force them to acknowledge that void, which all of that energy-sucking nature is trying to keep them from acknowledging. So these are people who, may, even if they did go to a counselor, may see them as useless. Correct. Um, and that's a waste of time. Mm -hmm. And then anybody speaking into their life about the issues they may have are all of a sudden speaking ill about them, trashing them. I can see how it might be hard to get through to this individual, yeah. um, if, especially if they don't, they don't ever see it. Mm -hmm. So let's say we have a listener like this or uh, we have someone who knows someone like this mm -hmm. um, or just just a, a question. How, how do people like this find their way into your office then? So there are some who just be on their own self-awareness realize that, oh, this is causing problems for me and other people around me. I would say it's a pretty small minority when you're dealing with people who are very firmly entrenched in that one up position. The majority of people who find their way into my office who are firmly entrenched get there because of either a significant level of pain, like mm. my relationship is completely falling apart and I don't know what to do and I finally have to face that I don't know what to Some do. Some type of crisis right. moment. Or they're kind of pushed in the door from behind by a spouse who cares about them. You have to get help or else we can't make this relationship work. And that's a bit of a, a catch-22 for them. And so it, it takes um, a lot of tact to know how to roll with some of the resistance that, sh that they present with, but still validating their core worth. Here's one of the ways that I think uh, people that come in the door with a firmly entrenched one-up position, one way that you can kind of help break through some of that resistance uh, sometimes an outside verification tool. There are a lot of assessments out there that measure this. And just looking at the data and saying, so I'm seeing we have elevated scores on the whatever term you want to put in the one-up position. There's several. So what do you think that's about? And then slowly, gently holding them accountable for their actions and their words 
And what you're really doing is reparenting from the outside, mm. pushing them into that same ass position. Now, maybe the better term is guiding them into that same ass position. So I want to go in, in a, a slightly different route and then it's, it's kind of going towards reparenting again. So mm-hmm. I don't want to get too far into it, but, um, if you're still in a, if you have an individual like this in your life, um, it's not your responsibility necessarily to reparent them. Correct. But what are the tools you need to have or the boundaries you need mm-hmm. to set mm-hmm. uh, with this individual uh, to assist them, even if they're not on their own journey of restoration intentionally? Yes. Excellent question. Because whenever you take responsibility for someone else, especially someone close to you, you're taking responsibility for something over which you really have no control. And that opens the door for resentment. That's really a sign of codependence. And so I really encourage people not to take responsibility for the behaviors or choices of those around them. Would this include, um, let's say you have a grown child Mm -hmm. um, and you know, they're exhibiting some of these behaviors uh, you can't reparent them now, um, mm-hmm. and you know their issues may not even stem directly from you, particularly as a parent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what kind of boundaries do you now set as uh, you know a a uh, uh, to adults? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, it's clear that you have to set boundaries, and you have to be very clear in expressing those boundaries to the other person. And so understanding that the other person is not going to like them mm. because remember the woundedness is really, at least in part, not having boundaries clearly set for them. And so what most kids learn early on is that boundaries are there, they're going to be there and you accept them. They really didn't have that mechanism put in place. And so now they're learning it for the first time and they're going to kick and scream against that a little bit. Mm. So don't be surprised by that or demoralized by that. That's part of the process. And it takes strength, inner strength on your part, but you have to hold those boundaries. And so maybe I'll throw out a couple of just quick examples of what that could look like. Whenever someone criticizes your choices or your actions because they're in the one-up position and they just find you inferior and themselves superior, help them understand you are entitled to that opinion for sure, but I have a right to my own reality and you do not get to dictate how I understand the world to be around me. Mm. You don't get a right to dictate the choices that I make. Um, And this could be physical as well. If someone intrudes on your physical space too frequently, either they're in your personal bubble or they come to your house too frequently or they dominate too much of your time, whatever the case may be, help them understand you know what, I have other situations. I'm not pushing you away. I'm just recognizing that I need our relationship to be within the appropriate context and not swell out of proportion and swallow up time that should be allocated to my kids, my husband, my work. And I imagine that you should expect, as you you said, they're going to be kicking and screaming as you set these boundaries and then enforce them or hold yourself and that person accountable for them you, you can't because when you say it especially in your tone of voice it sounds like that's going to work it's going <laughs> to be calm we're going to talk about this and right. they'll respond back mm-hmm. in a rational way we shouldn't expect a rational response from the individual most likely 
No. And it may even be delayed. Like they may just listen, leave, come, come back and invade your personal, mm-hmm. physical, uh, or, or your, your private property, uh, your privacy in some way. Is that, is that a fair es- estimate? Or, or passive aggressive. It may come out sideways from them. Absolutely. I think at a minimum, it's safe to say, expect some discomfort from that interaction. And the level of discomfort varies in the person and how self-aware they are and how invested they are in the relationship. But there is going to be some kind of discomfort. And don't view the discomfort as meaning you did something wrong. It means that for maybe the first time, you are the person who's holding them accountable for their choices and actions, which is healthy in all relationships. And they're trying to figure out what to do with that. I would imagine uh, in a situation like this, whether it's a a parent or uh, another close relationship, could be a sibling, um, as you're working through some of these things where you may feel a direct responsibility of the cause of the situation, there's got to be a certain amount of emotional distress, um, things you're experiencing that you're you're just not going to be able to well, I'm not going to experience that uh, mm-hmm. or explain away. Um, how do you deal with that as you set this boundary with that individual? Mm-hmm. Where my mind goes with that question is whenever you realize that maybe you have played a part in the development of that person, I'm thinking especially a parent-child, adult-child relationship. Uh, if you drop into the shame position and like, oh, this is all my fault. I can never fix this. I, I was such a terrible person that paralyzes you and keeps you stuck and does neither you nor them any good. At a bottom line, it's just not useful. Ownership that says, wow, I can see how my lack of setting boundaries in the past has created some difficulties in this person's life today. And, and here's what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to learn to set those boundaries now. I'm not saying I can for lack of a better word, fix all the mistakes of the past. But what I can do is take ownership of the present to make a different outcome. And I think along with that, because that is so good, um, in our last episode, our, our creative director, Brandon Hillegoss, uh, was talking about uh, you know his creative capital and the tools mm-hmm. he uses in his trade, but then translated that into uh, intentional time set aside to fill my tool bag mm-hmm. with creative strategies for problem solving. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, while you're going to own it and you're going to do some of the things that, um, the things it takes to, to move forward with that person, cause you're not throwing them away, right? You value them. Obviously you're willing to put in the effort, um, whatever relationship you have with them. Now you're going to set aside time to not only fill your tool bag for yourself, um, but also for your interaction with that person before the confrontation or, um, those crisis moments come up. Part of that is listening to this podcast um, or, you know, going to conference uh, here at Grace Story Ministries or seeing a counselor yourself. Mm-hmm. While you may not have had the issues, uh, you know, there's still a traumatic situation that you're going through in a way. Um, sure. So short term, um, you know, whatever that looks like. Do you have people that come into your office like that that are dealing with something like this? Mm-hmm. Um, and what does short term sound like for that? Well, short term is, uh, at least in part, well, I wasn't sure if this is short term. This is probably long term, but learning how to strengthen uh, that, what I call the functional adult inside of you. 
And that's the best part of you that shows up. That strength, that wisdom, that maturity, that wise response. And so very clearly defining, strengthening what that internal functional adult is like, sounds like, acts like, is a really good pool to draw from whenever you move into those difficult conversations with other people. Because then you're not operating out of um, a place of stunted growth or woundedness or immaturity from your own past, but you're operating out of the, the functional adult that has done the work, that has put in the effort to learn how to act in ways that are functional. And really, if you're, if you're willing to you know, tell somebody as you look into their life and you see some, um, some avoid or mm-hmm. a broken piece and you're like, yeah, you really need to see a professional. Uh, it might take a professional in your life to help them see that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want, I want to move on cause we're going to, we're going to definitely come back to some of these concepts sure. for reparenting. Sure. Uh, we've already got our next episode. <laughs> um, but let's look at what it looks like going down. So this is something maybe, uh, it sounds like a, a lot more of our listeners may identify with in a way when it comes to self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know that the, the idea of self-esteem that from the, the, uh, concept Jan, uh, that you quoted, uh, Jan mm-hmm. Bergstrom. That's not a perfect person, but someone who understands or has emotional intelligence enough to understand where they are in the world and how they relate with people Mm -hmm. going down now where some people may see themselves or down on themselves. What does that look like? So this happens whenever a person has experienced trauma that uh, often leaves them feeling inferior in some way. So this can be neglect. This can be uh, criticism. This can be growing up with a highly perfectionistic parent, whatever the case may be. And so the reality of it is they walk around feeling like I, at the core of who I am, am less than everyone that I see around me. So I like the way that Jan describes it here. She says, unhealthy self-esteem shows up as carried shame or grandiosity. But we're going to talk about the carried shame piece here the core energy of which she describes as contempt. Hmm. So the one up position is contempt turned outward. The one down position is contempt turned inward. Wow. Um, so even in just that little bit, there, there's a lot there because you use the word contempt. And when I think of what we just talked about going outwards for the grandiose individual, the up that we're talking about, that makes sense. Mm-hmm contempt for others, like they're less than, but thinking about myself, um, as, as, as someone who might be down on themselves, but to Mm -hmm. think of it as contempt for for myself, Mm um, wow, what a powerful emotion, um, for yourself to experience about yourself. And it seems like something that might be, uh, as you look around you, um, you, you know, you might see and, what you experience is what you believe. Mm-hmm. And then the facts you see kind of play into that. So a downward spiral, a self-fulfilling exactly. prophecy. Yeah. So part of it's called confirmation bias. So we scan our environment to look for information that primarily supports what we already believe. Mm-hmm. And anything that uh, doesn't correlate with that, we're much quicker to, to dismiss. So whenever people say good things about us and we have a very strong... Uh, less than mentality, we tend to be much quicker to dismiss that. Whereas 
that small mistake we made, uh, that gets magnified quickly. So this is way beyond self-deprecation or, you know, um, oh no, I was just part of the team. Like yeah. this is, while that may, you may say those things, this is you. Uh, well, let me ask you, what, what are the symptoms of that? Or what does that behavior look like when manifested in my brain? Sure. So there is a, an assessment called the internalized shame scale. So I'll just pull off some of the questions that show up on that. Things like, when I make a mistake, I feel like I just want the earth to open up and swallow me. Or whenever I make a mistake, I feel like I want someone to take me in the back alley and just work me over really good. Um, whenever I view myself in comparison to others, I see all of my flaws and inadequacies and everyone else just has it all together. So that's someone who, whenever they see themselves making one mistake, they couple that with all the mistakes they may have ever made. And like, yep, this is just one more time. Exactly. This is it. I'm a failure. One yeah. more time. The way the brain works, we tend to view all current relationships and experiences through the lens of past experience. And so we kind of assume that what we've experienced in the past is what we're going to experience in the future. So if you have experienced, lived out that less than uh, self-esteem, then that's what you're going to be looking for and expecting to find in the future. So let's, let's talk about this a little bit in the context of, again, your profession. Um, I'm assuming there's varying levels of this that walk into your office. Sure. Um, how do you assess and find out where someone is on those levels. Mm -hmm. Well, that internalized shame scale is something I use pretty frequently. And that kind of gives you some hard data. You know, did they score X number or did they score X number? And that kind of gives you some information about exactly where they're at on the spectrum. The other piece of it is you look for some of the intangibles. Uh, how do they respond whenever things are tough or whenever they have a hard knock at work or home? Uh, what is their level of resiliency? I also listen for the language that they use to talk to themselves. Uh, a really good exercise and one that I would encourage everyone to follow at some point is think about a, a young child in your life that you just adore. You know, your eyes light up whenever they come in the room. Think about the ways that you talk to yourself, the messages you say to yourself, and ask yourself, are these the things, is this the way that I would talk to that child? If the answer is no, then you've probably got some pretty negative self-talk going on there, which goes hand in hand with being in the less than position. And try for at least a week changing the way that you have that inner dialogue and imagine that you're talking to that adored child and then tailor all of your messages, all of the things that you want to say to fit that paradigm. Okay. Um, that's a lot. So let me channel someone who may be listening, uh, who identifies with, with what you're saying about being down on themselves or to an extreme of contempt. Mm -hmm. uh, and then walking through you selling, saying what they should be doing. I may have a tendency uh, to go ahead and say, well, my inner voice, what I'm listening to, I can't even get that right. Mm. What do you say to that person? Where, where, do, where do we go from there? Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing that does, it just opens up so much compassion and empathy within me for someone who's in that position. Because 
uh, I view that as an outflow of their experience. And so even that, oh, I can never get anything right, mm. that is very typical and understandable for someone who's lived so long in that position and that's so wearying and so tiring. And even if someone tells you the positive thing, like, hey, you're valuable, you're worth it, you're like, oh, that's just too good to be true. I can't even muster up the courage to hope that that is true of me. I would venture to say, even if I, I try to put that, uh, you know, if, if I'm that person, put that in my tool bag and try to tell myself, um, instead of just listening to myself, tell myself that I'm worth it. I don't believe me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's tricky because what you're essentially doing is you're asking someone to give up their sense of reality. Mm. You're saying, no, that thing you've always believed and been fully convinced is true. That's really not true. And so that is not something that someone gives up quickly or easily, nor, nor should they, honestly. Well, really, people don't give up anything easily. Exactly. They, yeah. Our tendency is to clench down, double down. This is just the way it is. Yeah. So these things change slowly, and they change. It depends on the, the nature of the trauma, but they can change um, almost in, in stages or incrementally. And so one of the useful things, and this is when someone comes in my office, this is what I work with identifying who taught them that they're less than where did they learn that message? Because that is something that we all learn along the way. You don't just necessarily come from the womb thinking that someone needs to take you in the back alley and work you over, you know, yeah. like you learn that somewhere along the line. And then whenever you're able to identify where they learn that you can go back and learn how to reshape that learning experience. And most of the time, like we talk about carried shame, uh, and this happens very easily, but a lot of times people ask you to carry shame without even realizing it. How do you mean? So whenever, let's say a child misbehaves in some way, or is just, let's say they're playing, being loud, and they annoy an adult in the room around them, and the adult goes, come on, just sit down. Why do you always do that? You know, fill in the blank the child takes away from that a sense of shame and inferiority. Oh, I am a bad person. I, I, I clearly disturbed this wise adult in the room. And so the problem is clearly with me, not with them. And so they start very early internalizing that less than feeling. So what you can go back and do is help them understand, well, I understand it's very understandable that you pick that up from that experience. But the reality of it was, you were just six. You were just playing. You were just a kid. That's not shame that is valid for you to carry. That was something they unintentionally, that was shame of theirs they asked you to carry. And something else I noticed as, as a parent yeah. that, that I'm, I'm listening to you is how easy it is yes. to pass on unintentionally the trauma that we've experienced. Mm -hmm. Uh, to others and yes. continue that cycle. Um, so once once we've noticed this behavior, it is of the utmost importance to do something about it. And I want to go down that road with you because I feel like we could go two ways here. One is talk about the reparenting, uh, which we're not going to do right now. We're going to talk about that in a future episode. So stay tuned, listeners. Uh, but I think we can go in another way because we've talked a lot about when people come into your office with X, Y, and Z, or the ups or the downs. Do I have to go to a professional to start working on this? 
Um, or is it, are there things I can do or should I just, the first thing is schedule an appointment. Mm. Um, what, what does that look like for getting started or do I need a professional at any point? Kind of mm-hmm. break that down for us. Yeah. Do I think it's useful to see a professional for everyone? Yeah, absolutely. That's I'm biased in that direction because this is my field. Yeah. But do I think it's necessary for everyone? No, I don't. I would say it depends on the severity of the trauma. And uh, here's one of the ways. And I, I would I would dare to say that you may need a professional to help you understand the severity of your problem. Because uh, I know for myself, I'm not knowledgeable enough to self-diagnose uh, a severity of issues in my life. So um, while it's not needed, I might say at some point it is needed to help identify the severity probably. Yeah, agreed. We have a tendency to whitewash our past. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, everything was great. I had an Id- idyllic childhood. But then when you start peeling back the layers, like, well, if you had an idyllic childhood, but you have a tremendous sense of shame, how do those two things interact? How did that develop if everything was so, you know, white horse and rainbows? And as humans not liking pain of any sort, uh, it's easier to whitewash. I, I, can, <laughs> I can understand that. And that is a, a way of kind of, keeping that pain at a distance mm-hmm. by living in that I'll be I'll use a, a a bee sting here that false reality that we tend to overlay our past on our past uh, that everything was great and wonderful I think until we learn to face reality and not flinch and not look away then we're kept in that that woundedness and that immaturity so let me ask it this way as as an individual out here, some of what you're saying or most of what you're saying is resonating. Um, and, and, and a sidebar here, what about people that see both? Like they, mm-hmm. They're really down on themselves, but when they were listen, listening to the first part of this particular episode, they mm-hmm. may have said, mm, I've, I've, I've done that sometimes, or I, sure. I can see that quality in myself about the up. Yeah. Um, wh- well, like I said earlier, it's two sides of the same coin. Yeah. And so that one up position is often a response to the one down position. Mm. I'm going to cover up that deep sense of inferiority by puffing up into the one up position. So I would say people tend to predominantly fall in one of those two camps, mm, gotcha. but there yeah. may be circumstances that draw out the opposite response. Okay. So with that, uh, because there's a lot with that, uh, let's say I am planning to go to a counselor or I'm never going to go to a counselor. Mm-hmm. What are some tools I can put in my tool bag yeah. to help me start working on myself either way? Right. I would say if I were to identify one concept, it would be compassionate self-awareness. And so when I say compassionate, this isn't about, well, let me get out my analyzing tool, figure out exactly where I'm at so I can fix this thing. And I'm just going to beat this thing into submission to be where I want to be. Just it's, it's not going to work. Sounds like the identification of the upper. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think what we need to do is start moving towards a stance of curiosity Hmm. rather than criticism or critique. Ah, wow. I noticed that I felt really less than in that interaction with that person. What's that about? I really love to figure out why I tended to drop down when I was talking to them or vice versa. Wow. I looking back, I can see how my words were kind of blunt or even 
um, kind of arrogant to them. Like, what, what was that about for me? Why did I do that? So with that, it, it, some people that are in that grandiose or, or upper and may not want to recognize those, those character traits about themselves, if you need incentive, um, there is research out there about, this sounds like emotional IQ, mm-hmm. self-awareness. The higher your emotional IQ, which your, your you know IQ as it is, is pretty much set, but your emotional IQ, that can change. Mm-hmm. And the higher your emotional IQ in general, it correlates with higher paychecks or higher compensation in the business world. So if you're driven or you think people are less than you, maybe moving in a direction of self-awareness and heightening your emotional IQ could benefit you mm-hmm. with that curiosity. Mm-hmm. But, but let me let you continue because I think it's so important for people to hear these tools for the ups and the downs. Mm-hmm. Really for either, it comes down to learning to recognize your humanity, and that that is very valid. When you recognize your humanity, you face reality. I am an imperfect human being. I don't get it right every time, and I don't expect that of myself. And even when I don't get it right, I'm valuable. So let me tweak that just a bit to show how that looks from the one-up position. I am a human being, and just like I don't get it right every time, this person doesn't get it right every time either. And they are just as valid as me. And that, that worth, like you're talking about, like Aaron Perkins talked about this in, in his episode, never changes mm-hmm. and recognizing that. Yeah. So thinking of uh, some things our listeners can do next. Um, over the next two weeks while we're waiting on you know, the next episode to come out, um, what, what are some things that they can be doing? Maybe, um, I know it's two sides of a coin, but if they're predominantly an upper or predominantly a lower, mm-hmm. uh, what are some tools or, or, or an exercise, something yeah. they can start working on moving forward? Well, let me expand on that compassionate self-awareness. Yeah. First of all, spend some time in quiet contemplation and just as honestly and transparently as you can evaluate yourself think, which of those two do I tend to fall in when I bump out of that same ass position? And we're not, we're not hoping for one over the other because they're both painful. They both have consequences and damage. We're looking for reality. And then let's say you bump, you realize that you bump into up and that one up position. One of the most useful things is just to recognize and remind yourself regularly that you are same as everyone else around you and that whenever you feel yourself moving into judgment or perfectionism, this isn't something we dug down into too much, but perfectionism is a form of one up. And we tend to think of perfectionist as being in the one down, but reality it's one up. But whenever you are not okay with things being not okay with the people around you recognize, you know what? Humility says that I have my own faults, my own struggles, And I don't know that person's story. I don't know what's going on exactly in their world. And so I'm going to allow them to have their own reality, their own humanity, and know that they are just as valuable as I am, even if I don't understand. So for the next two weeks, putting that into practice intentionally with every relationship, Mm -hmm. starting uh, each moment, and it may not be somebody, you know, it might be the barista at Starbucks as right. you're, you know, six feet behind the person in front of you, mm-hmm. uh, thinking, you know, they're not 
exactly six feet. Why yeah. can't they just do this? Yeah. Um, that'll, that'll be difficult. Yeah. <laughs> that'll be difficult. That'll be an exercise in growth. Absolutely. Sure. What about the person in the other direction? Well, back to the humanity piece. Recognize, you know what? That person around me may have a different skill set than me. They may have an higher, higher IQ than me. They may be able to do this task much better than I can in this moment. But that doesn't mean they are more valuable than me. Hmm. It means their skill set is different. And my skill set lies in a different field, in a different area. And that doesn't mean I'm less than in any way. And then in addition to that, uh, this really works with both. But remember that internal dialogue where I envision talking to that young child that you adore. Envision yourself talking to them and work on monitoring the ways that you talk to yourself. That, that exercise works for the one-up position too. Think, oh, is this the way that I would address uh, this young child that I adore? Would I really be that uh, contemptuous mm. in the way that I view them and the, the attitude that I, the stance that I take towards them? Or, and here's the, do I put the best construction possible on what's going on around me? Wow. That, uh, when asking for next steps, I'm not sure I could have asked for harder next steps for, <laughs> for the next two weeks. So listener, you're out there, you're wondering, you've, you've resonated with some things. You're wondering what is, uh, your task or what you can do to, uh, move forward in your journey of restoration for the next two weeks, depending on which direction you're going or where your emphasis is rather, uh, you have your task for the next weeks and, and I want, I want you to also do one other thing as a listener. Uh, we did an exercise recently, which was so helpful. Uh, and I want you to take time with this. Um, as you were changing the way you interact with other people and how you view them and yourself, it's important to identify how you want to view yourself, where you want to be in two, four, uh, a month, uh, a year. So just take some time in, in journaling in the next couple of weeks as well. As you think about your interactions with others, um, you know, work, work that through as well. But take that intentional time for creative capital for your tool bag and think of five words to describe who you want to be and how you want to be viewed. Whether that's in a month, two months, six months, or a year. Take that time, be intentional. Um, and I, I think uh, I, I'd, I'd like to hear some of what you guys come up with, whether that's on Instagram or the Facebook community page. Well, Ryan, we are out of time. Uh, we've, we've already decided that uh, we are not going to put a limit on the amount of episodes <laughs> that we have um, because there's so much to dig down into and we don't want to just glaze over um, mm -hmm. information. Um, so uh, thank you again for, for taking the time to be on this episode. Great to be here. And you guys out there in the Grace Story community, thank you for taking the time. Um, I, I will be praying for you here at the Grace Story community as you work through some of these on your journey of restoration. Uh, and we'll see you back in two weeks for more to put in your tool bag so that you can have education and resources for your journey of restoration. We'll see you then.